I think I'm next. I, to be honest, I didn't look at the service order this morning. Okay, just checking. Uh, so today is, is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and before we jump into First Peter where we've been, I just wanted to take a moment, a couple of minutes, and explain why as Christians we are pro-life. Uh, okay, so we'll start, we'll start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We believe, as Christians, we believe, the Bible teaches us, and we, we accept what the Bible says as true. We believe that every human being is made in the image of God. And every human life is sacred and worth saving. Young, old, wealthy, poor, educated, uneducated, special needs people, uh, healthy people, sick people, men and women, right? No matter what their skin color is, no matter what their background is, no matter what mistakes they've made or what choices they've made that have led to whatever consequences they experience, every human being is made in the image of God and is worth loving, is a, a human life that is sacred and worth saving. And so when it comes to an issue like abortion, unfortunately that issue has been very highly politicized. But as Christians, our belief about life or, or abortion or pro-life does not come from what party we affiliate with. Or, or we, sh- we don't decide what we believe about abortion based on who we voted for, whether we were blue or red, right? We decide what we believe about life and about human life based on what God's word says. It's, it's not primarily a political issue. It's primarily a spiritual issue. It's an issue of what we believe about God and what we believe about the world that he created and, and what we believe about human beings that he made in his image, Right, so all these, all these debates and arguments about abortion today, really they all come down to one question. When does a baby become a human being? Because at whatever point a baby becomes a human being, then that human being is a human made in the image of God, a sacred life worth saving, right? So all, so all of the debates and all the arguments and all of the things, they really, at the end of it, at the bottom of you, sort down through all of the noise Really, the fundamental question is, when does that baby become a human being, right? Because if you, if you apply some of the debates to, say, five-year-old children, not, nobody agrees with them, right? So, for instance, a really, the really common debate, what about cases of rape and incest? Well, that, those cases are terrible. But let's imagine a scenario where a woman is raped, and she gives birth to a baby, and she raises that child for five years, and then she says... You know what? Every time I see my five-year-old, I'm reminded of the pain of my rape. So I want to take him to the doctor and have him put to death. Nobody would say that's okay. The most pro-abortion activist in our country would not say it's okay to murder a five-year-old, right? Because that five-year-old is a human being, and human life is sacred. So is there a difference between a five-year-old and a three-year-old? Is there a difference between a three-year-old and a one-year-old? Is there a difference between a one-year-old and a newborn? Can we say, um, if the baby is, has been delivered, we can't put it to death, but five minutes earlier and six inches inside the womb, well, it's not a human being yet, we can put it to death. Really, is that, is that how it works? When does the baby become a human being? Because at whatever point it becomes a human being, that's when it becomes a sacred life in the image of God, right? 
And so when you think about all the, the words that, that are used to describe humans, fetus, infant, toddler, juvenile, adolescent, adult, senior, all of these words, they, these don't describe different creatures. They describe different stages in a human being's life cycle. As Christians, we believe that a human being becomes a human being at the moment it is conceived, has its own DNA. It will develop its own brain, its own organs, its own body, its own completely functioning system inside the womb before it's ever born. We believe it becomes a human being at the moment it is conceived, and that is when it is worth saving. It's a sacred human life. And you think about other arguments like, well, maybe, uh, maybe abortion should not be legal after the point of viability outside the womb. But again, let's take it back to the question of when does the baby become a human being? Is it logical to say that the, the, a fetus becomes a human being dependent on our scientific advancement and medical technology? So today, a fetus becomes a human being around 22 weeks. But 50 years ago, it didn't become a human being until around 30 weeks. Does that even make sense? Or to say, well, uh, for rich white people who live in developed nations and have access to the greatest advancements of medical technology in the world, our babies become human at 24 weeks because that's when they're viable outside the womb. But if you're an indigenous person of color living in a, an undeveloped nation that doesn't have access to great health care, your babies don't become human until like 32, 34 weeks because that's what those, when they couldn't survive sooner. That doesn't make any sense, right? All these arguments fall apart when you look at it and say, when does the baby become a human being? And whatever moment that is, that is the moment when it is a human life, a sacred life worth saving. So that's why Christians are pro-life. Uh, it's not primarily a political issue, it's a spiritual issue. And I just thought on Sanctity of Life Sunday, we would take a few minutes and, uh, and talk about that. We will get into First uh, Peter right now. We've been in this series. Before, before we jump into that, I have one a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we the, In February is the No Regrets Men's Conference, and I think, Mark, you say we have 20 tickets left for that. So, guys, if you're interested in that, you could see me or you could see Mark Crijan, um, and that's February 4th, I believe, um, first Saturday in February. And so it's it's over by Milwaukee. It, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. So, guys, if you want to do that, see Mark about that. And also on February 5th, um, we are having a congregational meeting uh, after the second service, and that's also a day when we're doing child dedications. And so if you have a baby or a child that you'd like to have dedicated, or uh, just let us know, um, and we will get that set up. Okay, I think that's all the announcements I have. Let's look at First Peter. Uh, I will give one little caveat. Um, <laughs> this week was a, a little bit of a different week for me. We had Gretchen's Celebration of Life service on Monday, and then we went back uh, to Chrisman, Illinois, where Corinne's from, because her grandmother had passed away, and we had her funeral on Friday. And then we came back uh, last night. So I finished the message last night at around 10 o'clock. I haven't practiced it. So you guys get the, the raw, unfiltered. Uh, sorry. Just want to apologize in advance for that. Um, but anyway. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's, let's just look at the text together first. We'll read through this passage and then we'll kind of talk about what it means. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In the original Greek that Peter wrote, this was one glorious, massive, run-on sentence. (laughs) He would have failed middle school English. Uh, But the Holy Spirit inspired it. So we're going to unravel this big, long sentence this morning. And we're talking about Peter... The, the name of the series is Living as Exiles. We talked about that last week, how we were called by God to be exiles. And what that means is that we live differently. And what I thought maybe um, I could illustrate it like this. When I was a teenager, I really wanted to get a tattoo. Right? It was super popular to get tattoos. It was like your own way of putting your own little stamp on your body. And, you know, and so I, I remember I came home one day and I told my dad, I want to get a tattoo. And my dad was like, why? And I said, well, because I want to stand out. I want to be different. I want to, you know, I'm not like everybody else. My dad said, well, do other kids get tattoos? Oh, yeah, all of my friends have tattoos, you know. And he said, so let me get this straight. You want to be different from everybody else by doing the same thing everybody else is doing. And I said, well, when you put it that way, (laughs) you know, right? At some level, Christians are called to live differently from everybody else. Do you know how everybody else is living? Without hope. Hopelessness is rampant in our society today, in our world today. Uh, Somebody shared a story with me from the Wisconsin State Journal that was published just this week. And I want to share just a few uh, points from that story with you. Mental health ER visits among children have nearly tripled at UW Health in the last 10 years. Mental health ER visits among kids, right? And many of those visits involve suicidal thoughts along with drug or alcohol intoxication or overdose. Those have almost tripled at UW Health in the last decade. Throughout Wisconsin, 34% of high school students say they feel sad and hopeless almost every day. Almost every day. That's a 10% increase over the past decade. One out of three high school students in the state of Wisconsin feels sad and hopeless daily, right? Uh, In our neighbor state of Illinois, hospital ER visits related to suicide increased 59% from the years 2016 to 2021. Suicide-related ER visits in Illinois, 59% increase in a five-year period 
right? And this one was the most shocking to me. Suicide is the second leading cause of death of children ages 10 to 14. When I was 10, the second leading cause of death was tripping and falling down the stairs. Today, the second leading cause of death for 10-year-olds is suicide. We live in a world that has absolutely no hope. Whether it's climate change or political upheaval or the global economy crashing or the next wave of whatever pandemic they can cook up in the lab, whatever it might be, right? We have no hope in our world. But as Christians, we have been chosen by God to live differently than the rest of the world lives. We don't want to live the same way. And I, I was looking at those statistics and I was thinking, I don't want my kids... To, to feel sad and hopeless every single day when they're in high school. I don't want my 10-year-old to have suicidal thoughts. Maybe I need to live differently than the world lives. Maybe just following along the lemmings as they all jump off the cliff isn't the best thing to do. Maybe we have been called to live differently. At some point, Christians have to step away from the lemming pool and live differently than the rest of the world around us or we will just end up in the same place that the world is and that is without hope. But we've been called to live differently. God chose us. We saw that last week. We are elect exiles, chosen by God, set apart for himself so that we could become like Jesus. And when we live in obedience to Christ, our lives become qualitatively different than the lives of the world around us. And one of those differences is hope. Where the world has no hope, we have a living hope. We've been called by God to live with hope day in and day out. So that's what we're going to talk about in uh, 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 through 12. And, and we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the reason for our hope, the result of our hope, and the responsibility of our hope. I don't usually do alliteration, but it worked uh, for this one. So the reason for our hope, the result of our hope, and the responsibility of our hope. Let's kind of jump into this. First of all, the reason for our hope is that we have been born again. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have been born again. We've been born again, as he says, into a living hope, not a dying wish. See, the, the, the hope that the world has is a dying wish. It's nothing, nothing more than wishful thinking. Well, I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but I hope that it's okay. That's not Christian hope. Christian hope isn't wishful thinking. It is confident expectation, and it is based on the reality of Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is not just a story in the children's storybook Bible. It is a real historical event and it has changed our lives because it gives us a living hope that not even death can take from us. We've been born again into a living hope, not a dying wish. We've been born again into a secure inheritance, not an uncertain future. Peter uses the words to describe our inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, right? Our inheritance is eternally secure. 
It's not undefiled, or it's not defiled, it's not perishable, it's not fading. It is secure. It is kept in heaven for us. But the, the people today that live around us who don't follow Christ, they live without hope because they place their hope in perishing, defiled, and fading things and people. Like politicians. Like winning the next midterm election. Like Supreme Court decisions. If only we could get that, then everything will be okay. We put our hope in these things and it doesn't happen because it's perishing. It's fading. It's defiled. We put our hope in things like career success, financial success, getting a scholarship to school or our kids getting a scholarship to school. We put our hope in things like uh, uh, financial investments. Maybe my retirement will work out okay. Right? All these things we put our hope in, but they are uncertain. They are temporary. They are fading. They go up and they go down and they go up and they go down. That's why every time the stock market crashes, suicides go up. Why? Because people put their hope in things that are uncertain, that are perishing, that are fading, that are defiled. But Christians don't. We have a secure inheritance, an eternal inheritance that is undefiled and unfading and imperishable, that is kept in heaven. In fact, Peter says that we are guarded by God through faith. We trust him, and he guards our hearts and our hope, and he guards us for a salvation. So we're born again into a living hope, not a dying wish. We're born again into a secure inheritance, not an uncertain future. And we're born again into a coming salvation, not a zombie apocalypse. Right? The, the, the world doesn't have any hope for the future. The, 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 the earth's going to burn up. Everything's going to crash. The government's going to crash. The economy's going to crash. Everything's going to die. Everybody's going to die. And, and the movies about the, the dystopian world, and the post-apocalyptic future, those movies and stories are super popular right now. Why? Because that's how everybody feels about the future. It's no wonder that kids are having suicidal thoughts. They've been told their whole lives, everything's going to burn up and die. There's no hope. We're, we're just destroyed everything. We're going to run out of food. We're going to overpopulate the planet. Nobody's going to have anything, supply chain issues, all this stuff, ah, right? The sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. After a while, you, you lose all hope. But Christians live differently. We know that we're not born again into a zombie apocalypse. We're born again into a salvation, a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I love the way Peter wrote that. When Jesus hung on the cross, right before he gave up his spirit and died, he said, it is finished. So the work of salvation is finished, it's ready, but God's not finished saving us. Our salvation is yet to be fully revealed. It's ready, it's coming. We know that God will rescue us out of whatever dystopian future people think is coming. We don't have to live through that because we've been born again, and that's the reason for our hope. Now, some of you sitting here might say, I don't have that kind of hope. And my first question would be, have you been born again? You have to be born again to have that living hope. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. Maybe you know all the stories. Maybe you can answer all the questions. But have you been born again? Have you said, my life is no longer my life. My life now belongs to Jesus. That's it. I'm not living for myself anymore. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to Christ now. And, and that's it. I'm following him. Have you said that? When you, when you make that decision to give yourself to Christ, you are born again. That's the moment that you're born again. So 
there might be somebody here who has never made that decision. You say, I don't have that kind of hope. Well, maybe that's because you haven't been born again. And you need to be born again into that living hope. And maybe some of you might be here and you say, yes, I have been born again. I have decided to follow Jesus, but I'm still struggling to have hope today. The start of 2023 was really hard for us. We lost a close friend in Gretchen. We lost Corinne's grandma. We've had sickness. It's not been a great start to the new year. And hope has been sometimes elusive. If you're here and you have chosen to follow Christ, you say, yeah, I feel like that. I I do believe in Jesus. I have given my life to him, but I'm still struggling to have hope. My question is, are you living out of your born-again identity? Or are you living out of your old identity? Because we we are, are prone to wander and forget who we are in Christ. Right? I, I, I don't know about you. That's, that's my experience. When I find that I'm struggling with hopelessness, that's often an indicator that in some area of my life, I've forgotten who I am. And that's why Peter started his letter by reminding us of who we are. Elect exiles. Chosen in God's perfect knowledge, sanctified and set apart by the Holy Spirit so that we could become like Jesus. Born again into a living hope, into an eternal inheritance, into a salvation that is coming. That's who you are. And just go and be who you are. Live out of that identity. That's the reason for our hope, that we've been born again. Number two, the result of our hope is great joy, even in trials. See, verse six, he says, in this, and the the fact that you've been born again into a living hope, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I want to I make a distinction in here, a clarification. The trials, the various trials that he's talking about, these the are a specific type of trial. Peter is not here talking about you've been diagnosed with cancer or you're living with chronic pain or you had a loved one die. That's not the suffering that he's talking about. Now, that is legitimate suffering, but that's not what Peter is talking about here. What Peter is talking about here is trials because of your faith in Jesus. Being ridiculed, being laughed at, being shunned, being excluded, having your job at risk, right? Being, being made fun of uh, on social media, whatever it might be. That's the kind of trial that he's talking about. And he says, even when you are facing opposition because of your faith in Christ, even when that is your predicament, you have great joy because of this hope that you've been born again into. Now, the the question is, why does God allow his people to experience persecution? If If I'm following Jesus and that's what God wants me to do, why would God allow me to face persecution because of that? And look at verse 7. He tells us, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tested genuineness of your faith. See, it's really easy to follow Jesus when there's no social cost. When following Jesus is the socially accepted thing to do, super easy. You don't even have to have a real faith in Christ. You can just go with the flow because that's what is socially acceptable. 
It's much more difficult to follow Christ when it's not the socially acceptable thing to do. In fact, only people with genuine faith in Jesus will follow him when it costs them their reputation. Nobody will follow Christ at the expense of their reputation unless they have a genuine faith. So the trials reveal the tested genuineness of our faith. My brother-in-law said to me um, recently, he said, when we were kids, all our parents had to do was take us to church. That was it. But he said, now that we have our own kids, what we have to do is teach our kids to be Christians in a world that hates Christians. It's not just that that we have to take them to church and then our job's done. No, we actually have to teach them how to be Christians at school. We have to teach them how to be Christians at college someday. Because when they go into those environments, they're not going to be in a conducive, uh, an environment that's conducive to faith. That's a much harder job. Forty years ago, it wasn't like that as much as it is today. It's super easy to follow Christ when there's no social cost but only genuine people follow him when it costs them something, right? And, and look, at wh- look at the last part of verse 7. This tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get this, when Christ returns, he will be bringing praise and glory and honor for you. We always think about when Christ returns, how everybody's going to worship him, and we will. But he's going to bring praise and glory and honor for us because he is testing our faith, polishing our faith, refining our faith in the fire, and he is making you into his masterpiece. And when Christ returns, he's going to unveil his masterpiece, and he's going to say, look at the beautiful things that I have created. And everybody's going to say, that's really stinking awesome. Jesus is going to praise you and glorify you and honor you because of the tested genuineness of your faith. That's why Peter wrote verses 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Because this is the kind of God he is. He's not selfish. He wants to come and celebrate who you are. This is the kind of God he is. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You could also translate that you trust in him. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Having received or obtained the salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith. See, this is what... This is what's happening. This is what we look forward to. This is our hope. This is the source of our joy. This is the result that hope brings. We know that Christ will return with praise and glory and honor. So we have great joy. Because who cares if somebody posts something ugly about me on Facebook if Jesus Christ himself is going to honor me? I don't care what other people think, right? So, so. The reason for our hope is that we've been born again. The result of our hope is that we have great joy, even in trials. And I'll close with this, the responsibility of our hope. We've been given a priceless gift. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, I, I'm short on time, uh, but let me, let me summarize it this way. 
concerning this salvation, this born again into a living hope, this salvation we have in Christ, the prophets longed to see it, the angels longed to see it, but God gave it to us. We have been given a priceless gift. What will we do with it? What will we do with it? For thousands of years, prophets searched and prayed and asked and sought. Angels have been looking into these things for millennia, but God gave this gift, this hope, this salvation in Christ to us. What will we do with this gift? This is exactly where Peter is headed in in his letter. In fact, in verse 13, he starts it with the word, therefore. I'm not going to get into all that because that's for next week. But I want to close by having us think about what this means. We've been given this priceless gift of a living hope. What will we do with it? That looks different for each one of us. And so uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as they come, I want us just to take a few moments of quiet reflection and listening. And I put some uh, questions up here to help guide this time of reflection. Let's just sit here for a few minutes together and think about, have you been born again? Are you living out of your born again identity in Christ? Are you or is someone you know facing social pressure to hide, ignore, or reject your Christian faith in Jesus? and you've been given a priceless gift in Christ, what will you do with it? Lord, as we we sit for a few moments in reflection and listening, I pray that you would work through your word, work through these applicational type of questions to uh, speak to our hearts and our minds, to call us, to show us, to reveal in us, to create that joy in us. And Lord, would you, would you just speak to us and reveal to each one of us what you would have us to do with this priceless gift. In Jesus' name, amen.
preach this morning would be a song about our living hope. Please take your time and finish up when you're reflecting and you're welcome to stand and join us when you're ready. Joe, it's kind of fun to see what the kids do uh, when, when it's when they're downstairs. Uh, my name is Andy, one of the pastors here. I'm glad that you are worshiping with us today. Um, before we jump into First Peter, I just want to say today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, and so <coughs> I wanted to take a couple of minutes here before we jump into the letter of First Peter where we've been and talk about why Christians are pro-life. Why are we pro-life? Now, unfortunately, this has become a political issue in our nation, but what we see in the Bible is that it's not primarily a political issue. It's primarily a spiritual issue. And what we believe about uh, issues like abortion or being pro-life or, or whatever, what we believe about those things should come from what God's word teaches us, not from whatever party we affiliate with or whatever candidate we vote for, right? What we believe about these things should come from the Bible. And so uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Christians are pro-life because we believe that every single human being is created in the image of God. Every single human life is sacred, and is a life worth saving. Every human being is a human worth loving, even if they don't agree with us, Christian or non-Christian, right? Uh, atheist or, or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or Jew or, or whatever, whatever their spiritual religious beliefs are, they are human beings made in the image of God, right? Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, male or female, right? Healthy or sick, old or young, people uh, with special needs, right? Whatever it might be, we believe that every human being is created in the image of God. Every human life is sacred. Every human life is some, a life worth saving. Every human is a human worth loving. And so because we believe that, we are unapologetically pro-life. And when it comes to an issue like abortion, Really, at the end of the day, at the bottom of that issue, if you boil it all the way down through all of the arguments and all of the debates and all of the social media posts and all of the noise that the, the world puts out around that issue, if you boil it all the way down to the very bottom, it ultimately comes to the question of when does that baby become a human being? Because at whatever point that baby becomes a human being, then that is the point at which that baby is made in the image of God, a sacred life worth saving. Right? And so that's really at the heart of the question. And all of the other arguments and debates hinge on that question of when does the baby become a human being. So, for example, uh, one of the really common arguments in favor of abortion is what about cases of rape and incest? Those are terrible, terrible things, right? Let's take the same logic and apply it to a five-year-old child. What if a woman was raped and then uh, ha gives birth to a baby, raises that baby, that five years later, she says, you know what, for the last five years, every time I've seen my child, it's reminded me of that hor hor horrible incident in my life. It's just too painful. I want to take him to the doctor and have him put to death. Nobody would say that's okay. Not a single person would say, oh yeah, that's fine. Right? Why? Because that five-year-old is a human being, a sacred life worth saving, right? Uh, that's That's... 
we got to get past all of those other arguments and get down to when does the child, the baby, become a human? Because that's the point at which the baby is somebody made in the image of God, sacred life worth saving. Um, You think about uh, what's the difference between a five-year-old and a two-year-old and a one-year-old and a six-month-old? Is it logical to say, uh, well, this baby has just been delivered five minutes ago. Therefore, if the doctor comes up and kills it, the doctor is guilty of murder. But five minutes earlier and six inches over in the womb, it wasn't a human being yet. What changed? Six inches of space and five minutes of time. That's it, right? Or, Or it doesn't make any sense. When you think of the words like fetus... Infant, toddler, juvenile, adolescent, adult, and senior. You think of words like that. These words do not describe different creatures. They describe different stages of life in the human life stage cycle. Right? That's what they do. That's what they describe. So a fetus is not a non-human entity. It is a human fetus. A toddler is not a non-human entity, it's a human toddler. An infant is a human infant. A senior is a human senior. That's what humans are. And so as Christians, we believe every human life is sacred, and we believe that human life begins at the moment it is conceived. That's the moment it has its own unique DNA. It will develop its own unique uh, brain, its organs, tissues, its own complete body, all of that happening inside the womb. And so I'm not telling you, What to do with your politics? I'm just explaining on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. This is why Christians are unapologetically pro-life. Because every life, every human life, is a life made in the image of God and a life worth loving and a life worth saving. Um, Okay, let's get into the letter of 1 Peter. And I will say, uh, just kind of up front, um, this week was a super crazy busy week. We had Gretchen's uh, Celebration of Life service on Monday, and then Corinne's grandmother had passed away, so we drove to uh, Central Illinois and uh, did her had her funeral on Friday. We got back last night, so <coughs> I last service was the first was my practice run. <laughs> so this is only the second time uh, I preached this passage. Uh, so um, today, yeah, you, you, it's not much practice, so you kind of get the raw, unfiltered version. Um, but let's read let's read First Peter chapter one verses three through twelve. This is one glorious run-on sentence in the Greek, in the original Greek text. All 12 verses are one sentence. So Peter would have not passed 7th grade uh, ELA, but he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. So we're going to learn from it. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. We've been working our way into the letter of 1 Peter, and it's all about how we are called by God to live as exiles, to be different from everyone else around us. Uh, I thought I would kind of illustrate that by telling you this little story. When I was a kid, a teenager, I wanted to get a tattoo. It was super popular in, in our little rural Missouri high school. Get a tattoo, it was kind of like, Marking your own stamp, you know, setting yourself apart. Uh, you put your own mark on your, on your body or whatever. And I went home and I told my dad, I want to get a tattoo. And my dad said, why? And I said, well, because I'm not like everybody else and I want to be different and unique. And he said, well, do the other kids get tattoos? And I said, yeah, all of my friends. And he said, so let me get this straight. You want to be different from everybody else by doing what everybody else is doing. I thought, well, you know, when you put it that way, maybe, I don't know, it doesn't make quite sense, right? Do you know how everybody else is living without hope? Hopelessness is an epidemic in our world today. Without hope. Somebody shared a story published this week in the Wisconsin State Journal with me, and I just wanted to share a few highlights from that story with you. Mental health ER visits among children have nearly tripled at UW Health in the past decade. Mental health ER visits among children have almost tripled over the last 10 years at UW Health. Many of those visits involve suicidal thoughts along with drug or alcohol intoxication or overdose. Among kids, tripled, right? Throughout Wisconsin, 34% of high school students say they feel sad and hopeless almost every day. 34% throughout our state. That's a 10% increase over the last 10 years. Every single day. In our neighboring state of Illinois, hospital ER visits related to suicide increased 59% from 2016 to 2021. A 59% increase in a five-year period. And the most shocking statistic to me was that suicide is the second leading cause of death among children ages 10 to 14. Second leading cause. When I was 10, the second leading cause of death was tripping and falling down the stairs. Today, it's suicide for 10-year-olds. We live in a world that has absolutely no hope. And as Christians, we are called to live differently. When I was reading that story, I thought to myself, I don't want to live the same way the world lives because I don't want to have the same results the world has. I don't want my kids to hit high school and feel sad and hopeless every single day. I have a 10-year-old son. I don't want him to have suicidal thoughts, right? So at, at some point, we have to live differently. We can't live just like everybody else lives and do just what everybody else does and expect somehow to have a different result. That's insanity, right? We can't do that. So we've been called as Christians, we've been chosen by God to live different lives. That's what we talked about last week. We're elect exiles. God chose us. He set us apart 
for himself so that we could become like Jesus. And when we live in obedience to Christ, it makes our lives qualitatively different from the lives of the world around us. And one of those differences is that we have hope, a living hope. We've been called by God to live with hope. And that's what the verses in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning are about. And so we're going to talk about three things, the reason for our hope, the result of our hope, and the responsibility of our hope. I don't usually do alliteration, but it it worked out for this one. The reason for our hope, the result of our hope, and the responsibility of our hope. So first of all, the reason for our hope is that we have been born again. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have this hope because we have been born again into a living hope, not a dying wish. See, the world's hope is nothing more than a dying wish. I don't see anything good happening. The world's going to burn up. Climate change, the global economy is going to crash. Everything, supply chain shortage issues, food shortage issues, overpopulation issues, global pandemics. Ah, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. No hope. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I, I hope it's okay. That's wishful thinking. That's a dying wish. But that's not Christian hope. Christian hope isn't wishful thinking, it is confident expectation, and it is based on the reality of the resurrection of Christ. See, the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a story in a children's storybook Bible. It's a real historical event that actually happened and has an effect on our lives today 2,000 years later. It gives us a living hope that not even death itself can overcome. It's a living hope. We've been born again into a living hope, not a dying wish. We've been born again into a secure inheritance, not an uncertain future. The inheritance that we have, that we've been born into, is secure. Peter says it's imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for us. Right? It, we can, it is absolutely certain. It's not an uncertain future. The people in the world today don't have much hope. Because they put their hope in perishing, defiled, and fading things. Like politicians. Like winning the next election cycle. Like Supreme Court decisions. If only we could get this, then everything would be fixed. And it doesn't work. It doesn't last. It's perishing. It's fading. It's defiled. We put our hope in career success. I'll get the job of my dreams. We put our hope in getting a scholarship for college or our kids getting a scholarship for college. We put our hope in finding that special someone that completes me because I'm not a whole human being unless I'm sleeping with someone. We put our hope in all of these things that never quite pan out because they're perishing, they're fading, they're defiled, they're not permanent, they're not secure. The, The economy goes up and goes down and goes up and goes down and every time the stock market crashes, suicides go up because we're hoping in things that are temporary and passing away. But Christians have a secure inheritance. We have a certain future. Our inheritance is being kept in heaven by God himself. And in fact, he is guarding us through faith 
We've been born again into a living hope, not a dying wish, into a secure inheritance, not an uncertain future, and we've been born again into a coming salvation, not a zombie apocalypse. The world doesn't see anything coming except a dystopian future. That's why so many movies and and books are all about the the post-apocalyptic dystopian world. Why? Because that's how everybody feels about the future. Nothing good is going to happen. We're, we're going to run out of food. We're, gonna get, we're all going to get sick. Everybody's going to die. The, the planet's going to burn up. The sun's going to go out. You know, the universe is going to collapse in on itself. It's no wonder kids don't have any hope. That's what we've been telling them their entire lives. But Christians say, no, 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 we're not headed for a dystopian future. We're not headed for a zombie apocalypse. We have a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We're going to be rescued from that. We're going to live with Christ in a new heaven and a new earth for all of eternity. That's the reason that we have hope. Uh, Some of you might be sitting here this morning, you might say, I don't have that kind of hope. And my question, my first question to you is, have you been born again? That living hope is something that you have to be born again into. You, You can't get it by just trying real hard. That's not how it works. Have you been born again? Maybe you've, maybe you've come to church for a long time. Maybe you know all the answers to all the questions. But you've never really made the decision to transfer ownership of your life from self to Christ. Now, I, I, I'm keeping my own life. I'm, I'm doing church, doing the Christian thing, yeah. Well, if you, if you don't have that living hope, maybe it's because you haven't been born again. And if you want that hope, and if you want to be born again, all you have to do is, is say, okay, I don't belong to myself anymore. I now give my life to Christ. I give myself to Jesus. I belong to him now. And when you make that decision, you are born again into a living hope, a secure inheritance, and a coming salvation. Some of you might be here and you might say, well, I I have made that decision. I, I have been born again, but I'm still struggling to find hope. I relate to you. The beginning of 2023 has been a really hard year for us already. Losing two close loved ones is not a great way to start out the first month of the year, right? And sometimes hope seems slippery and elusive. But usually when, I, when I'm struggling with hope, one of the questions that I need to ask myself is, am I living out of my born-again identity in Christ? Or are, are, are there areas in my life when I've forgotten who I am? Because when I'm struggling to find hope, sometimes that is an indicator that in some area of my life, I'm going back to my old self, and I'm living out of that identity instead of being who I am in Christ. And that identity piece is so important. That's why Peter started his letter by talking about who we are. We are elect exiles. We have been chosen by God's perfect knowledge, sanctified and set apart by the Holy Spirit so that we could become like Jesus. We have been born again into a living hope, into a secure inheritance, and into a coming salvation. That's who we are. And Peter says, now go be who you are. Live out of that identity. That is the the reason for our hope, that we have been born again. Number two, the result of our hope is great joy even in trials. See, verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
I want to clarify something. The trials that he's talking about there are not just general suffering in the world. Like, oh, uh, uh, my house burned down, or, or I got diagnosed with cancer, or I'm living with chronic pain, or I lost a loved one, or a natural disaster happened and our, and our whole neighborhood was flooded. Those, that is real legitimate suffering. That's not exactly the suffering that Peter's talking about here. What he's talking about is suffering because of our faith in Jesus. He's talking about facing pressure and uh, exclusion and being shunned or being exiled because we're Christians. We face a lot of peer pressure in our society to abandon our Christian faith, to reject our Christian values. You believe what about marriage? Oh, what do you believe about women's health care? Oh, you know, we, we, have, we're, we face a lot of pressure to walk away from what the Bible teaches us about human flourishing and about God's plan and will for his people. And when we are obedient to Christ, we face opposition because of our faith in Jesus. That's the kind of trial that Peter is talking about here in the letter of 1 Peter, suffering because of our faith in Christ. Now the question is, why does God allow his people to face that kind of suffering? Why does he allow us to go through that persecution? Verse 7 answers that question. It says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, when we, when we face opposition because of our faith in Jesus, it reveals the proven character of our faith. It's so easy to follow Jesus when there's no social cost. Anybody can do that. You just jump in line and go right along with the social flow. Yeah, I go to church. That's what good people do, right? It's a lot harder to follow Christ when it costs you something, when it costs you your reputation. Only someone who has genuine faith in Jesus will continue to live in obedience to Christ and be made fun of on social media and have their, maybe have their job put at risk and be excluded by their family members or their neighbors or their friends, right? It, takes true faith in Christ to endure that kind of trial. When there's a social cost, it's not so easy. My brother-in-law said uh, to me recently, he said, when we were kids, all our parents had to do was take us to church. That was it. But he said, with our kids, we have to teach them to be Christians in a world that is starting to hate Christians. It's not just as easy as just teach them to go to church. No, we've got to teach them to be Christians in, in school where they're going to be made fun of for their faith. We, we have to teach them to be Christians at college where they're going to be made fun of for their faith, right? That's a, that's a whole lot harder to do. 50, 60 years ago, that's, that wasn't the case, right? It's easy to follow Christ when there's no social cost, but when we face these trials, it reveals the genuine faith, the, the, the proven character of our faith. And that genuine faith is refined by the testing and becomes one of God's masterpieces. Look, look at, at the, the last half of verse 7. It says, The test of genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's what he's talking about. When Christ returns, he is going to be bringing with him praise and glory and honor for you. For you. 
We often think about when Christ returns, everybody's going to fall down and worship him, and we will. But he is going to praise and glorify and honor you because of the proven character of your faith. See, he puts your faith in the, in the fire and refines it and purifies it. He's making a masterpiece. And when Christ returns, he's going to unveil the masterpiece that he has created in you. And he's going to say, look at the beautiful things that I have created. And everybody will say, wow. Jesus is going to praise and glorify and honor us because of our faith in him. That is the source of our joy. That is the result of our hope in Christ. That's why Peter wrote in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is the kind of savior we have, right? Though, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. You can also translate that trust in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We serve a God who wants to celebrate what he's doing in us. And when he returns, our joy will be complete because he will bring praise and glory and honor for those of us with true refined faith in him. So we, the, we have the reason for our hope. Uh, we have the result of our hope. Let's close with the responsibility of our hope. We've been given a priceless gift. Verse 10 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, we're short on time, so let me summarize this point this way. Concerning this salvation that we have, concerning this living hope that we've born, been born again into, our faith in Jesus Christ, concerning these things, Prophets long to see it. Angels long to see it. God gave it to us. We have been given a priceless gift. For thousands of years, prophets looked and searched and prayed and asked and longed and sought and, and, and wanted to see it. Angels looked into it, but they didn't see it. God gave it to us. Salvation in Christ has been given to us as a gift, born again into a living hope. What will we do with this gift? What are we going to do with that? Right, that's exactly where Peter's headed in the letter. The, the first word of the next verse is, therefore, therefore, because you've been given this priceless gift, and I'm not going to get into that because that's next week, right? but I want to leave it there. What are we going to do with this hope, this with this salvation, with this born-again identity in Christ, what are we going to do with that? I want us to reflect for a few moments. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. I want us to sit for a few moments in quiet reflection and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this living hope that you've given me in Christ? A and I put some questions up here that will sort of guide our thought process, guide our reflection. Have you been born again? Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that's your step this morning is to transfer ownership of from yourself to Christ. Uh, are you living out of your born-again identity in Christ? 
Ask the Lord, where, where am I forgetting who I am? Are you or is someone you know facing social pressure to hide, ignore, or reject your Christian faith in Jesus? You've been given a priceless gift in Christ. What will you do with it? Let's just reflect on these questions and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you purchased our salvation and that when you return, what we will be will be fully revealed and completed. And I can't wait to hear the words from your mouth, well done, well done. That's all the praise that I need. I don't need followers on social media. I don't need my neighbors to think that I'm cool. I just need you to say well done. So Lord, we, we give this time, these next few moments to you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word, through your spirit, stir in us what you would have us to do with the priceless gift that you've given to us. Amen.